Welcome to this week's Energy Show. 2017 is one for the Solar Coaster record books. Now, I did okay on my predictions for 2017 last year. I do these predictions every year. I kind of only completely whiffed on two predictions. I just, two of them I just completely missed. So last year, I thought that solar panel prices would stay low throughout the year 2017. But you know what? Boom. In May, we had a solar tariff actions that, that are actually proceeding from lawsuits filed by Seneva and Solar World. And basically what's happening is there's going to be tariffs placed on solar panels. It's going to happen anytime soon, sometime in January. And, you know, in the meantime, 2017, throughout the year, the panel prices actually kept going up. I thought they would go down because of volume, but this external solar coaster factor boom hit us nobody expected it except Seneva and solar world and the prices went up that's really a bummer because it makes solar more expensive than it for everybody now second one that i missed on was yeah i'm an optimist i had hoped that president trump would embrace solar embrace the jobs that it can create embrace the improvement in the environment but unfortunately the policies so far over the last year at the doe and the epa are definitely not solar friendly and we talked about that before and there's a lot of regulations that have been changed that would have supported solar and that are now being overturned. Now, going forward, I hope that the president sees fit to support all solar manufacturing and doesn't put tariffs in place on solar panels. But you know what? I'm not so sure. Now, the other thing about my predictions for this year, 2018, is this is the you know, battery storage is becoming much, much more popular. The costs have come down. So I'm looping in my predictions for solar with battery storage because in the future, it's going to be solar and batteries. It's not going to be one or the other. Okay. So here are my predictions in no particular order. Number one, U.S. solar manufacturing will not restart anytime soon. I mean, we hope this is going to happen that people are going to be making solar cells in the U.S. But the reality is, to build a solar cell manufacturing plant, now keep in mind, a solar panel has a lot of cells in it. And normal residential panels have 60 of these little cells. They're six-inch six inch squares. But you need a lot of cells. So on your roof, if you have uh, 20 panels, you're going to have 120 of these little cells. And that, that's a lot of cells, especially, you know, you're looking at utility-scale or commercial buildings. So this is a semiconductor manufacturing business. You need huge quantities. You need clean rooms. You need automated equipment. You need highly trained people. Billions of dollars in long-term investments are necessary to build these semiconductor factories. And, you know, it's not like we're building last year's solar cells. These factories have to be built to build the latest and greatest, highest efficiency solar cells. And that's not going to happen anytime soon. Now, if we had the right industrial policies in the U.S., for the solar cell industry, then the industry would recover. And, you know, the good thing about that is if we're making solar cells here, and then that's going to bring along solar panel and component manufacturing because they want to build everything in one place. But unfortunately, we don't seem to be on that trend line to make investments in future forms of electricity generation. We're too busy you know, trying to find a way to support coal and, and nuclear plants, which aren't even close to being economical. Whereas the things that make the most sense, solar cells. I'm just thinking about this like offhand. Spend, spend $2 billion on a solar cell factory instead of spending $20 billion building, fixing the last, um, keeping the last few nuclear plant, plants being constructed. Makes no sense at all. But that's why I'm not a politician. All right. Prediction number two. 
the threat of solar tariffs has already caused a major shortage of panels. We know about that. We've talked about that. But this shortage is not going to mitigate until the end of Q2 at the earliest. Why? Let's say end of January, snap your fingers. Now we know what the solar tariff is. And companies can kind of start reacting to that. Then they got to take orders for solar panels. It takes a month to finalize and ship these orders, assuming that there's available inventory. And that the month to get the products to the port. And then another month to ship the containers from overseas, assuming everything's in stock. So you're looking at two, maybe three months of delay, even things if things work really smoothly, from when the price is clear to actually, you know, the, the, the tariff is clarified and people know they're going to be paying, hey, 75 cents a watt for panels. And when those panels actually get to the U.S., Maybe to a distributor, maybe to an installer. And then the other thing you have to remember is without solar panels, there can't be inverters, racking, mounting systems, everything else. There's going to be a decline in revenue among all system components because the the price has gone up. Okay. Prediction number three. Wires will disappear from solar system monitoring as cellular cloud-based solutions prove to be more cost-effective. Now, why is that? Well, the reason is that the monitoring... I've been doing solar system monitoring since 2001. Yeah, I used to have to run a Cat5 wire to an RS-45 board that had to be installed inside the inverter, and that board would have to go into the serial port of your computer, and then you had to have a box that would send that through to the Internet up to a server. It was a real pain in the neck. All right. So a lot of wiring going on. Now, some improvements have been Wi-Fi and Powerline Carrier and Zigbee, where you can either transmit this information wirelessly from the roof to some kind of server, or transmit this information over the wires that are already in the, the solar system. Well, experienced contractors, contractors that have put in a lot of these systems, realize that when you look at the overall cost of things, sometimes it ends up costing more to take an expedient solution rather than investing a little bit more up front, say, in a cellular monitoring system and then having zero maintenance. So here's the experience that, that I and many other contracts have had, is when you have these power line carrier monitoring systems or running Ethernet cables or depending on the home Wi-Fi connection or Zigbee, the installer basically gets it to work at one point. Now, let's say you, you, you're there at the end of the day. Um, there's still a little bit of sun. You get everything turned on. It works. Um, you, you fiddle around with the home internet connection. Bingo, it's working. But then the customer might change internet providers or replaces the router or plugs the device into a different outlet, and then suddenly it doesn't work. And so, although the solar contractor has done nothing, they basically set the thing up and it's working fine, the uh, contractor gets a call from the customer saying, hey, my system's not working. I'm not getting my monitoring. Come out and fix it. You know, contractors are loath to charge the $200 it costs to, to, to roll that truck and send out somebody who's good at home networking to fix it. But they kind of have to do it. So what ends up happening is the contractors have realized that um, cloud-based cellular communications are better. Just put a cellular antenna on the inverter that's outside and send that data up. You're completely cutting the cord from whatever's going on in the house. You don't have to worry about noise on the home internet power line carrier. You don't have to worry about the customers doing anything differently. You don't have to worry about them changing their router. It just works, and that's great. And I kind of look at my experience over the past 10 years or so of, of different forms of monitoring and even going back almost 20 years. The systems that are using cellular work way, way better. I, I can see 99% of my customers at any given time are all just 
happy, 99 plus. Whereas if I'm dependent on wired or Ethernet or Zigbee or Wi-Fi monitoring, many, many fewer. You know, the other thing about this wire, these wireless monitoring systems, Wi-Fi or Zigbee, if you have foil insulation in the roof, if you have chicken wire in, in the side of the house from stucco, that creates a Faraday cage. It cuts back on the communication. Okay. All right. Next prediction. Dumb solar modules on residential rooftops are DOA dead on arrival. And these are, are solar modules that basically don't have intelligence, and they're killed by the National Electric Code rapid shutdown requirements. These are new code requirements, went into place at the beginning of 2017. It's in the 2014 code. It's now happening in 2017 a little bit more aggressively. And basically requires that there's no high voltage. I think it's uh, over 50 volts farther than three feet away from the panels. So normal solar panels have, you know, 30, 40 volts. If you have 10 solar panels together, you're up to 300 volts. You're not allowed to do that anymore. There's only two solutions. One is what we call module-level power electronics, some kind of, you know, optimizer or microinverter in every module, or an add-on string-level rapid shutdown box. It's an extra box. It's the size of a pizza box. goes underneath the panels. Controllers go down. And that box basically automatically shuts all the power off by pushing a button. Well, after installing their first add-on rapid shutdown box, contractors find that it's way more cost-effective to install modules with microinverters or optimizers. Heck, for me, I spent Tuesday night for three and a half hours just helping one of my crews partially wire in one of these rapid shutdown boxes. We had two arrays. We had to put in two boxes. I forgot how painful that was. Never doing this again. So that's that's something to kind of keep in mind going forward for contractors. Great string inverters, but make sure that that the modules have electronics so you don't have to mess around with putting in a rapid shutdown box. The economics just aren't there at all. Okay, continuing with our predictions. Number five, utilities will continue to thwart behind-the-meter solar and behind-the-meter storage. They don't like it when you can generate your own power with your business or homeowner without using their their services without buying power from them. They don't like it if you're storing your own power. So they're making it as hard as possible. They're doing things like increasing the fixed monthly charges, which used to be like, you know, a dollar, four dollars a month. Well, now some of these charges, they're going up to a hundred dollars a month. They're flattening the electric rates. So there's smaller differences between large and small consumers. So um, it doesn't make as much sense for you to put in these systems. They're moving the peak time of use rates away from periods of maximum solar production. So it used to be from 10 to 2, the electric rates were highest and electricity was cheap in the evening. Now it's flipped. The electricity from 10 to 2 is pretty darn cheap. The electric rates from 4 to 9 are the most expensive of the day, or evening as the case may be. So they're changing that. So this kind of call is a technology whack-a-mole game. Customers are responding. First, they responded to high electricity costs, high peak rates by putting in solar. They're responding now by putting in their own battery storage system so they can maximize their self-consumption. So I kind of look at it. There's two possible ways that this is going to end up. It's not going to happen anytime soon, but two possible end games. Either solar and storage and microgrids are going to basically take over and defeat the utility business model, or in some way, you know, through some crazy set of laws from um, politicians that are paid off by the utilities, they're going to make it illegal to do these things. Okay, I hope that doesn't happen. All right. 
Prediction number six, seemingly inexpensive smart home energy monitoring systems will continue to fail in the market because of pricey installation costs and limited economic value. I mean, these things are really, really cool. I've seen them on the market for 10 plus years. You can put some CTs inside your home electrical panel. You put a little box that then talks to your home network, and then you can see when you're using power. I mean, heck, I think I put the first one in in 2002. We did that at our offices in Los Gatos, and we were fiddling around. It was kind of cool, but it was just a clue. It was a lot of work. It was time-consuming. And here's the, here's the reality. Adding connections to your existing electrical panels, any extra wiring, any extra circuits, any things like current transducers, these are little magnetic loops that go around wires that can measure the current in those wires, this works expensive. And it has to be done to code. It has to be done by trained technicians, usually electricians or solar contractors. Yeah, really good home improvement people. People are good at DIY. They can do it too. But you know, the average consumer, don't recommend you take the front panel of that surface panel off and start fiddling around with it unless you really understand electricity. So instead, even though these smart home systems are very cool, the way they're going to get into the market is they're going to be bundled with solar systems or storage systems or your cable and security systems. Why? Because these systems, solar storage, cable TV, they're, they're expensive. And therefore, the companies that are putting these things in actually can pay for the high installation and support costs of these systems. I didn't even mention support, but these things, these energy smart home management systems, they just don't kind of work plug and play forever. They're a little bit tricky to run. All right. That's how I think these things are going to happen. And it's probably going to happen as part of a microgrid. Okay. Prediction number seven. Although battery prices will continue to decline, complete energy storage system prices will not come down as fast as everybody expects. Now, we all see how much cheaper and cheaper lithium-ion batteries are going to get. I mean, it wasn't until over the last year or two that these lithium-ion batteries were cheap enough and packaged properly enough from companies like LG that they could actually be installed in a house and you didn't have to worry about them for 10 years. They had a great 10-year warranty. So the battery prices have come down, and they're going to continue to come down in price as the automakers build more and more electric vehicles in those factories from Panasonic or Samsung or LG get bigger and bigger. The dilemma is that the contractors that are putting these systems in are getting a little bit more experienced with all the extra work it takes to put these systems in. It's not that easy. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of details to do. So when you kind of look at the price of a battery and say, gee, I can put a, you know, my, I can buy a lithium-ion battery system, a 10-kilowatt system for $3,000. How come the contractor wants to charge me 13000 Well, there's a lot of extra equipment that has to go in. There's a lot of paperwork and soft costs that have to go in. And it's just a lot of labor. It's tricky. It's tricky to add these systems in. Now, it's getting better and better. But, you know, contractors are kind of realizing that they have to charge a fair price for these systems in order to kind of not get underwater. Now, this will change as the prices get down as the complete systems get simpler, and as the soft costs, as we've seen in solar, as the soft costs go down, as more and more contractors get experienced in putting these systems in. But I'd say the biggest change is going to be when manufacturers start coming out with a single box that basically is just kind of plug and play. And that'll eventually happen. There's some products on the market that are starting to do that, and that's where the big opportunity is. Okay, number prediction number eight. The most successful residential energy storage systems will will be those that package components together and provide easy-to-use software 
thereby simplifying the installation work. This kind of goes on with the battery price prediction that I did before. Now, a few companies have figured that out, but almost all the early products on the market are taking what I call the Frankenstein approach. They integrate components from multiple vendors. They might buy batteries from one company. They'll buy a controller from another company. They'll buy some communications from another company. They'll put it in an enclosure in a box that they buy from somewhere else. And then they try and patch everybody's software together and maybe write a maybe maybe write a cell phone app that talks to some of these things and hope that everything's going to work together. Well, it's really complicated. The batteries have their way of communicating. The energy management system has a way of communicating. The charge controller is different. So it's it's tricky to do this. So these, what I call Frankenstein systems, they work, they're complicated, but they're expensive. And what's going to happen is when companies start to integrate everything together, hardware and software, then it's going to really take off. I mean, kind of look at look at your cell phone. Um, it's all kind of integrated. It works well. Look at the most successful computers, laptops, there, or, or tablets. Kind of everything's in one box and it all works together. We'll get there for energy storage systems, but we're not quite there yet. Okay. Prediction number nine. When utilities talk about making the grid more resilient, customers, businesses, and homeowners just want a grid that is reliable. Reliability is more important now than it ever was before, since almost everything's electric. Our lights, our cars, our heat, our hot water, cooking, communications, entertainment, financial transactions. Nobody mails checks anymore. Everything's done on a credit card. Businesses are bent. People don't carry around cash. You have a convenience store or a gas station. There's a power outage. Not only can you not pump gas, not only will all the food and the freezers melt, but you can't even do a transaction. So reliability for businesses and homes is more important than ever. The vast majority, now you kind of look what the problem is, the vast majority of these power outages, it's not caused by you know, a problem at the generating plant or not enough coal, or it gets too cold and you know the, the coal freezes, or the natural gas isn't being supplied. The vast majority of power outages, I think 99.9%, are caused by a failure of the local grid. Generally, overloaded transformers. You know, take an example. One too many Teslas plugged on, in, on the block at the same time on a, on a really hot day. Or caused by power lines down by weather or inadequate tree trimming. And there's some people that think that the couple, the huge fires that we've had recently in California and in other places are caused by utilities not really doing a good enough job trimming their trees. Yeah, it's a maintenance thing. They're just kind of skimping on that. They make some more profits. So, but that knocks down the wire. So that's where the that's where we're having problems. And since the grid's getting increasingly unreliable, customers want this backup power. They place a high value on that. So battery storage systems that have backup capabilities are going to succeed in the market. And the ones that can't provide backup are going to be a a substantial disadvantage. Okay, prediction number 10. The lithium shortage will mirror the silicon shortages of 2004 to 2007 and numerous memory chip boom-bust cycles. Now, these, these are commodities, and you think the big manufacturers can kind of plan how to build, make, a, make enough of these raw material commodities. But at some point, what happens? Happened in the solar industry, and it's going to happen in the battery industry again. A lot of car manufacturers, and maybe some solar manufacturers, are simultaneously going to place big orders for huge quantities of batteries. It wasn't planned. Um, these manufacturers of batteries ask for long-term planning. Well, sometimes it doesn't happen. That's going to create a sudden demand on everything upstream and things that can't be ramped up quickly like lithium, like the raw material lithium, prices are going to spike. 
And we're going to see these things called take-or-pay contracts, where the battery suppliers are going to say, you must guarantee these purchases of the lithium manufacturers. I, I think that's going to happen. So the same thing, nobody expected it in 2004, boom, in, in four months. It, you know, it doubled, almost doubled the price of solar panels for three years. Now, it also could happen maybe not with lithium. It would be even more depressing if it's with cobalt. I hear, hear, hear people talking about cobalt shortages. I'm not an expert on cobalt. Um, I'm not sure how important it is or maybe other battery chemistries, but lithium is definitely the thing that we're using the most of. Okay, last prediction. I did 10. I'm going to do 11. This is my wild card. President Trump will convert the White House to coal burning. He's going to say, we can, we can heat the White House with coal. He's going to put in a prototype CO2 sequestration system that's basically going to capture the carbon dioxide and sequester it. Maybe they'll, they'll drill a well underneath the White House and inject all that CO2. And then the DOE is going to d- design that system. That's, that White House CO2 sequestration system with coal generation is going to be approved by the Environmental Protection Agency. Then, this, then the Health and Human Services Division is going to certify this as being healthy. And then HUD, Housing and Urban Development, is going to inspect it to make sure that it's safe. And then the coal is going to be mined by a single coal miner working for the Department of Interior. So it's going to be a lifetime job for a single coal miner once President Trump puts this coal-burning furnace in the White House with a CO2 sequestration system. Okay, that's my last prediction. It's kind of a wild card. And that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 